Get your Bibles out and turn to Psalm 19 and Romans chapter 1. Psalm 19 and Romans chapter 1. As you know, we're in this series called Explore God. And there's an initiative going on throughout the city. You've seen the billboards. You've heard the radio commercials. There's all these, all these uh, places where you can see people being encouraged to have spiritual conversations. That's what Explore God is really all about. It's about encouraging people to talk about God and ask questions. And so this series is all about some of the tough questions that people have about God. Last week, we talked about, does life even have a purpose? How do you know your purpose? This week, we're dealing with a doozy. It's a big one. It's the question, is there a God at all? Is there a God? And this question is meaningful to people. I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to challenge you to think differently about it. Uh, I might challenge you to, uh, in a way that helps you in your conversation with people. But to get us started, let's look at this video about people asking the question, is there a God? Let me put it this way. I, I, like, I like to think that God is real one reason or the other. I don't believe in God because the idea that an omniscient, loving being would judge me who is mortal and ignorant and tiny for all eternity based on a few years' experience, I find to be rather a cruel thought. Look at everything around us, from the universe to our being to the ability to have consciousness. I think that it can only be explained by God. All the power that God has, he, she, it has given to me. So we're definitely one. I hope, I hope there's, there's something else out there. It'd be, it'd be fun to experience uh, whatever God has in store next. Um, either that or we're all just evolved apes. Um, there's so many things where it's just like that, that couldn't have just happened. Like that has to have someone, something behind it. And I believe that something's God. to be honest. I was raised atheist. I don't believe in a higher power. But, you know, I also don't claim to know everything about the world. And I think maybe it's a bit arrogant for people to try and believe they know the truth to anything. For me, yes. Yes, it's, it's obvious. There are like so many things. Um, for me personally, you know, so many things that I've been through. And after that, I'm like, oh, that had to be God. The pat answer is that how can there be no God when there's all this beauty around us? But I think about evolution and science and all of that kind of thing and think, how can you not just accept it the way it is? Really don't know what to believe, to be quite honest. So it's kind of just really just living it day by day and just trying to be a really good person. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there is one. I just pretend, I guess, and hope that there's something else out there. It's interesting to see people's different responses, isn't it? I like the surfer guy that said, yeah, I hope there's something out there. It'd be fun. 
you know, and then there's these, then there's these, these other people that are like, I, I don't believe in that at all. That would be harsh and cruel. And, and, and then the lady at the end saying, I, I, I guess I'll just pretend, maybe, since I don't know. Listen, the deal is, the question of is there a God is a good question. I think any thinking person throughout their life has had to ask this deep and philosophical question. I know I have. I know I've been through seasons in my life where I, I ask myself the question, have I, just, have I just taken all this stuff from my parents? Like, did they just indoctrinate me and it's, it's just a crazy thing I grew up in? I've wondered if this thing is just being made up in my mind. I've, I've wrestled with the question, is this real or am I crazy? <laughs> or worse yet, that we're all part of a massive computer program that stimulates or simulates real life because our bodies are all actually housed in liquid pods generating 1.21 gigawatts of power providing energy to a post-apocalyptic sun-scorched world. That would be awful, wouldn't it? It's called the matrix. This, this question often goes off course and we, 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 we start talking about proofs and, you know, texts in the Bible and different things about science and we get in arguments about all this stuff and then we end up talking about stupid things like, did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> did Adam have, I mean, he didn't have, his mom, he, he didn't have a mom, he didn't have an umbilical cord, so <laughs> weird. <laughs> we all think about this question from time to time. Even if we conclude that we do not believe, it's merely impossible not to wrestle with this and, and, to, and to have dialogue with others about it. Um, the good news is that God is not intimidated by our questions. He's not intimidated by your questions or mine. I remember when the church was just starting, we were just a little launch team, group of people getting together, and uh, I had a guy who was, who was helping us, and we're, you know, we're having meetings every week, and we're, we're having worship services, and we're getting ready to launch in September, and, and this guy called me and said, I want to have lunch with you. So I went and met him for lunch, and he sat down, and he said, I've really been hesitant about this lunch because I haven't known how to tell you this. I'm like, he's like, I... I don't believe. He's like, I, 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 he's like, my wife believes. She's like, she's totally in, but, but I don't believe. I, and I've always sort of talked about being an agnostic, but only because I don't have to, so I don't have to deal with all the atheist people or the atheist haters. <laughs> he's like, I, I, I'm not, I have serious doubts about what this is, about whether God really exists, about why we think this way and what the Bible says. He says, I have serious doubts I'm wrestling with. He described to me how in churches he'd been in the past where he had been in part of small groups where he was not, he, he would be there, they would all be talking about stuff and he didn't ever feel free enough to say or to voice his doubts or to question them or, or to wrestle with them with somebody. In fact, what he said to me was very profound. He said, I feel like an imposter. I feel like an imposter here. Because it's so funny, because he was like, I love this church planting thing. This is cool. This is really fun <laughs> to start something new. I want to be involved in that. I just don't know about God. 
And I said, great, you're perfect. You're perfect for this job. You're perfect for what we're doing. Because I want One Chapel to be a place where people can belong before they actually know exactly what they believe. Because that's the only way they will realize what they should believe, by the way, and what the Bible has to say, is if they can belong long enough for their belief system to be changed and challenged. And as they begin to believe differently about who God is and he begins to meet them where they are, that they begin to become all that he wants them to be. But they got to belong first before they can really do that. And whether it's, whether it's belonging because they entered the family of God, because they got born again and they confessed their belief in God, but they don't know what to believe at all, or if, whether it's because they're searching and struggling and seeking and trying to figure it out, I want people to be comfortable here that they can, they can work through that. And I want all of you to make sure that you make people around you comfortable who are wrestling doesn't mean we can't challenge one another. doesn't mean we can't talk about deep and meaningful things. But we've got to do it in a way that's respectful and gentle. And we'll read about that as we go through here. So I want to start with what the Bible says about a few things. And then we're going to, we're going to talk a little philosophy. And then we're going to, I'm going to show you a little video uh, about mo- molecular biology. So, so Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Often I'll say about the, the folks who are, have a sort of a new age philosophy, I'll say, look, they are right. The world is speaking. The, the world is connected. There are vibrations. There, there is a voice. Sometimes they just are listening, are connected to the wrong spirit. They're connected with the tree instead of to God. And so I... I think this is an interesting passage that, where the psalmist says, look, God is speaking all over creation. He's speaking through creation. If you turn over to Romans chapter 1, flip over there to Romans 1 in the New Testament, you go a long ways to the right in your Bible. And uh, all the way to Romans chapter 1, if you're looking in your Bible, find verse 19, Romans chapter 1, verse 19, and this is the Apostle Paul, and he's describing how creation speaks to us as well. He says, uh, what may be known about God is plain to them. He's talking about people of the earth who, are, who don't necessarily know God, but he's saying it's made plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That's a powerful idea that says people all over the world have this innate sense that there may be something out there. Maybe someone out there. I want you to think about how the earth and the universe, scientists say it this way, they say it's tuned perfectly. It's perfectly designed for us to inhabit the earth. And, and the earth and nature has so many of these little 
nuances and intricate details that, that it does suggest something. It does suggest a designer. The earth is perfectly aligned and fine-tuned for us to live, to breathe, to function, to replenish. The earth constantly is replenishing itself. I can't remember, you know, so many, so many times I've heard people talk about how the population of the world is going to keep using it up. And indeed, the population of the world is using up the resources, but then we seem to find more. But then we figure out ways in which to better utilize the things that God has given us. Did you know that Christians should be some of the the, the, the best environmentalists? Because we're supposed to take care of what God has created. And as we learn how to care for creation even better, we find that it has a replenishing dynamic, that it constantly is replenishing itself. So it perpetuates all of life. It has life for many life forms. It's an incredible thing. Did you hear about Voyager 1? Not only is the earth made, it's fine-tuned, but the universe seems to be tuned in a way that makes it so that planets can form. And Voyager 1, uh, Voyager 1 was launched in 1977. How, how many of you remember that? You are so old. <laughs> 1977, they launched this spacecraft, and it took off through, throughout our solar system. And Voyager 1 just they, they figured it out by uh, some signals that have been sent. It took a long time to get them sent, but they just figured out that it, last August, it left our solar system. Our solar system, it took 36 years. 36 years, it's incredible. Now, I was reading an article about it online, and they were talking about scientists and what they're saying, and it's, it's gone into interstellar, interstellar space. I don't know what interstellar space is exactly, but I know that it means it's left our solar system and it's left kind of the gravitational pull of our sun. And so it's an interesting idea here, or gravitational forces, I'm, I'm, uh, matter, but they said it'll take 40,000 more years, 40 years to get where it's at, 40,000 more years, and it'll pass within 1.7 light years of uh, the next star. That is crazy, isn't it? That, is a, that just speaks to how huge this universe is. And everybody kind of believes that the universe is massively expanding, that it's moving outward at an incredible rate. Everybody believes that, scientists and others alike. There's a big bang at some point. They've, you know, they, they, they back up all the way through. Well, the, the universe is expanding at this rate, then as you back up, then it's got to be about this old and blah, blah, blah. And everybody's, you know, kind of has an argument about that. What I want to draw your attention to is the fact that there's so much intricacy in our world. There's so much that you can look to, and the farther we look into cellular structure, we can go out or we can go in, which we're doing both by science and technology. Science and technology, and the deeper we go in and see the structure of our cells and what's going on in there, the more incredible it is. I'm going to show you a little video about something called ATP synthase. Synthase. It's a synthesis process that every cell in your body, by, way, by the way your cells work, it generates the energy that every cell needs to do what it does. So this process is in every cell of your body. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you a little video about it. I got it from a guy named Clint uh, Tavares, who is in our church. 
And he's a molecular, he's studying molecular biology at UT right now, and he was, he was doing research on it. And so I want you to see this little uh, video, and uh, let's watch it together. It'll be interesting for you. Open, open up your mind. It's been called one of the wonders of the molecular world, an amazing nanoscale machine. ATP synthase is a high-tech micromolecular power generator inside the cells of your body. It generates adenosine triphosphate, or ATP, an energy molecule that provides fuel that every one of your cells needs to function. Without this fuel, your cells will cease operation, and so will you. ATP synthase works like a rotary engine. The barrel-shaped rotator is composed of 10 to 15 protein parts called subunits. The rotator spins around, transmitting mechanical energy into the drive shaft of the machine, which helps make ATP. This drive shaft has a specially placed bump that opens and closes parts as the drive shaft spins around. This bump opens special protein subunits on the bottom of the machine. When the bottom subunits open, a spent energy molecule called adenosine diphosphate, or ADP, enters the machine. The mechanical motion causes the ADP to bind with an additional phosphate group creating the ATP energy molecule. And the ATP drifts off into the cell, ready to power some biomechanical reaction. The ATP synthase machine has many parts we recognize from human-designed technology. A rotor, a stator, a drive shaft, and other basic components of a rotary engine. The ATP synthase is one of thousands of elegantly designed molecular machines inside your cells that make your life and all known life possible. ATP synthase, an example of intelligent design. Okay, so obviously, right, it's animation but scientists are looking deeper and deeper into the structure of our cells. And it just, you know, the Bible says that each person is fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's something here that I want to draw your attention to. When I look at that little thing perfectly designed with a bump on the end to let out ATP, adrenosine triphosphate, Worked on that a long time this morning. <laughs> that when I see it, when I see how it's put together, it's an interesting clue. It's evidence. 
The question is, what is it evidence for? What I want to suggest to you is that science and religion are, are not um, enemies, that they are friends. And that the more science and the more technology that we get in our modern world, I, I believe the more that we get to confirm some things that we believe. I'll give you an example. One of the, one of the facts of our modern day culture in America is the number of abortions are going down. They have been for years. I don't think it's because of all the people trying to, uh, you know, storm the abortion clinics or any of that, or even the political argument. What's the reason that those numbers are going down is because we get to see deeper and deeper into the womb. Science and technology have made it so that we can see what's alive in there. And as people see what's alive deep within their body, they are more and more hesitant to get rid of it. Science is our friend. We should never, <laughs> that's a nice quote for today, science is our friend. You can tweet that. Bill Nye the science guy. He is a nice guy. Now listen, I'm... I, what, I want you to, what I want you to open your heart to is the fact that there might be some clues here that would help us to know who God is. Turn over to Romans chapter 2 if you're there at Romans 1. Just turn over to Romans 1. And I, I want to go to a little bit different subject. Because I, I, I don't think it's just about creation. There aren't clues just in creation. Romans 2 says, verse 14. Romans 2, 14. It says, when outsiders have, who have never heard of God's law follow it, more or less, by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us for, from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. Now listen, there's a lot of injustice in the world. Tons of injustice in the world, and it is horrible. But the the fact that we know that there's injustice, the fact that there's something innate in people to, who wrestle, to wrestle with right and wrong, it might be a clue. It might be evidence that there's something more to this world than just our, our own existence trying to survive. The fact that we all recognize it, that worldwide there are inherent standards of justice might mean that God has hardwired it into us. Now, the problem with the question, is there a God, is that it cannot be proven. It cannot be proven. You cannot prove to anyone that there is a God. Nor can people prove that there is not a God. <laughs> if you want to get into philosophy, we could get deep, knee-deep, neck-deep into philosophical discussions, and people do online every day. Go check out the blogs. It's sickening. But I do think that there are reasons why we should have these discussions in a way that is helpful and honest. And I turn to Tim Keller again from the book, The Reason for God. I want to recommend it to you a second time this week because I think it's, it's worth reading if you're wrestling with these ideas because he writes in this book about all of our beliefs from a point of view of logic. He starts with logic versus starting with the Scripture. He, he, he ends up confirming the scripture, but he starts with logic because nobody wants to hear the scripture 
if they don't believe in God, <laughs> they don't believe the Bible, they don't, they, it, that doesn't hold any water in the conversation. So you have to kind of wrestle a little bit with some of the other elements of the discussion, which means philosophy. And, and what Tim Keller, uh, he's a pastor in New York City, he's a brilliant writer and a brilliant teacher, he, what he says is there's something called strong rationalism that everybody t- tends to want to gravitate to. Strong rationalism is I want airtight proof. I want proof, and I want you to provide it for me. Can I tell you as a Christian, you don't pro- have to provide airtight proof for anybody, especially not God. God, God can provide his own proof. <laughs> All right, You don't have to feel the pressure of that because it's really unrealistic. You can't prove by, with an incontrovertible argument. <laughs> Another big word to know and say. You can't prove it that he's there, that he exists. And so the, the deal is we, he contrasts something, he contrasts strong rationalism with critical rationalism or critical rationality. And what he says is that while strong rationalism requires all this proof that's airtight, he says there is another way to go that most things that we deal with that are difficult to prove, that we use critical thinking, we use inductive reasoning. We use the powers of our mind to begin to come to a conclusion. And what his argument for in this book is, is that it is not unreasonable to come to the conclusion that God exists. That it is not irrational to come to the conclusion that there might be a God who designed it all and created it all. That it is not foolishness and stupidity. You do not have to hang your head low and, and because you believe in God. And even those people might say to you that they think you're stupid. It is reasonable and it can be rational and we can discover clues and evidence for God. So don't let that happen to you. Here's some of the clues that he outlines in the, and that we, we can talk about, all right? A couple of them we've already talked about. Are these clues or are they clue killers? When you're in the discussion, are these, are these clues that God exists or are they clues that there's something else, some other way that all of this happened, all right? So, so let's deal with the first one, all right? The Big Bang theory, all right? The Big Bang is obvious to all, right? Every, scientists and we, I believe in a Big Bang. I just believe in a Big Banger. There was a person there who made it happen. And the way it works, the way it works is they just trace the way that the universe is expanding. They trace the way that things have developed, and they begin to trace it back to a certain origin. The problem is nobody was there at the at that time, right? You, me, or anybody else. And and but but all of us can believe there was a start. All of us can agree that there was a start. But what does that mean? We don't, we don't know what was there before. It is, sometimes people say, well, maybe it just caused itself. It was just, just internal combustion of some other entity that we don't know about. Number two, the universe is perfectly tuned to support organic and human life, but we don't know why it is. No matter who you are as a scientist, you can talk about how perfectly designed and tuned it is, and you can say that it happened um, randomly, or there was random selection, or there was some sort of survival of the fittest process, which, by the way, does exist within our natural uh, laws of of creation. But, But what is the conclusion of it? Scientists don't know why it's that way. They just know it's true. Number three, in fact, I was... Before I go on to another three, I was thinking, um, I was reading a little bit from Richard Dawkins, who's really um, 
written some books on, on uh, the neo-atheists and all that kind of stuff. He was describing how it could be, there, there's millions of, uni- could be millions of universes, and we just happen to be the universe that actually got perfectly uh, coordinated and tuned. It's just, we're one of many millions. And of course, he has proof for that. No, of course he doesn't. And so, and so he can't, so, so he can't demand proof from me without me demanding proof from him, but it's not proof we're after. I'll tell you that in just a second. It's not proof we're after. Number three, the regularity of nature. Everybody say the regularity of nature. Regularity of nature means that things are consistently happening in nature and we can sort of predict what is to come by what has happened in the past. And so the regularity of nature, we predict by the evidence what's going to happen in our creation. But it is completely without proof. We don't really know. We just use our powers of inductive reasoning, right? Okay, we all do that. Number four, beauty, love, and meaning are important aspects of life, but only as a means of survival. This is, what, this is the argument, that beauty is not real. It's just a way that we see the world by our own biological ev- evolutionary development that we we create these things to survive. Love is really not a feeling. It's not a decision. It's just a thing that was created within our brains and our experiences as a way of developing. Biological evolution would dictate that <clears throat> we need love to survive. So it develops in us as a human species. But within this argument, is a catch. So if beauty and love and meaning and purpose are something that is a byproduct of this evolutionary process, and the evolutionary process always dictates that we need it for survival, that we need it for survival, why all over the world do different cultures and different people groups come up with the concept of God? Why is it here in the first place? Why did it become, why does that as a, as a part of our meaning and purpose of life, why does it come up in, in all kinds of cultures? It almost proves too much, doesn't it? Because here's the problem. If the evolutionary process leads us to believe in God and God is not real, that means our inductive reasoning is faulty. Well, how can we believe the process that we're in? How, here's, here's what he says, but if evolutionary survival leads us to believe in God and God is not real, then how can we trust any of our belief-forming faculties or inductive reasoning? It's a, it's a little trip up that we, we begin to look at as we look at the rational discussions and decisions about the existence of God. And of course, none of, none of the clues we have been looking for actually proves God, right? We, you can't prove it. Every one of them is rationally avoidable. We can say there are other reasons for why they exist. That is truth. That is honesty. We, we have to just admit that, and we should. We should have conversations based on the fact that we can't prove this, and neither can, neither can they. However, their cumulative effect is, I think, really profound, Here's what, here's what Mr. Keller said. He said, though the secular view of the world is rationally possible. Now read it close. It doesn't make as much sense of all these things as the view that God exists. 
That's why we call them clues. The theory that there is a God who made the world accounts for the evidence we see better than the theory that there is no God. The idea, the, the, the shaping of a rational thought that there's a God who, who started this whole thing and then there's a God who wired it perfectly for our enjoyment and, and for our relationship with him. There is a God that puts innate desires within us for love and for beauty and for right and wrong and justice. That is in us quite naturally from creation. And as we look at this and how nature functions, it makes rational sense to believe there's a person behind that versus, well, we don't know why that happens. It just does. But it probably came from primordial soup. The question is, just apply your critical thinking powers. If there is inherent rational, is there inherent rational proof for the existence of God? No. No. But there is strong evidence and many clues that might lead us to God. Why wouldn't God give us absolute proof. This is really frustrating for some people. Why wouldn't God give us the kind of proof that we could just show everybody and tell everybody? Why couldn't we say, couldn't you just provide some kind of thing, some kind of person, some write it in the sky, make it obvious for everybody? Why don't you do that? You know, they said the same thing to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was doing all these miracles. <laughs> He's healing people everywhere. He changed all of history. History is sort of based on his existence, you know, the calendar and all this stuff. He's influenced, and people said to him, if you just show us some signs, then we'll believe. They actually said that to him. And he's like, I've been healing people. What do you try? What do you, what? hello? There's a reason God has not provided proof. There's a reason he provides evidence. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll finish here. Hebrews 11, verse 1. I'm going to read it out of the voice translation. It's a really amazing translation. Um, if you want to look it up online, it's, it's, uh, I think it's really unique. And it says, faith is the assurance of things you have hoped for the absolute conviction that there are realities that you've never seen. That there are realities that you've never seen. There's, a, there's things that you haven't seen. You are not the author of the universe, and you can't know all things. He's saying here that faith is this assurance of things that you're hoping for. Faith is a leap into hope. Faith is a leap into the absolute conviction that there are realities you've never seen. Now, what, just pause for a second. What else is there that you can't really prove very well? I want to give you three examples. So gravity. You can't really prove gravity is there. You just know it exists. You jump off a building, you'll come face to face with the hard reality. You, you can measure it, and there can be other things. We, we, we can, there's evidence for it, but you can't necessarily prove it. What about wind? Wind is so mysterious. It's like this thing. We can put up the, the windmills, and we can use its power, but proving that it's there, that it actually exists, we just have evidence for it. Jesus uses this analogy to describe, by the way, how God works with people. How does God work with people? I'll just throw it up on the screen here. John 3, 8. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. 
When people are born of the Spirit, when they meet God, there is a mystery about it. By the way, I'm not sure we should serve a God who doesn't have any mystery. If there is no mystery to the God we serve, I'm not sure it's a God at all. Right? If there's, if there's no mystery to this God, then I'm not sure he's worth serving. And I think that's a, that's a wrestling match that we have to go through because his ways are so much higher than our ways, is what Isaiah says. His thoughts, so much different than ours. Love is another illustration. You know you can't prove that somebody loves somebody? Can't prove it. Now, the longer you love them, the more evidence you have that they actually do love them. But you can't actually prove. In fact, people from outside the relationship can always accuse them of doing what they do for different motivations. Oh, they stayed married to them because of this. Or they did this, they married that person because of this. They can always attach different motivations than love. And you can't prove it. So God's not the only thing we apply this to. We all believe in love, we all believe in wind, we all believe in gravity, but somehow we can't believe in God. This is a problem, right? So if you scroll down to Hebrews chapter 6 in verse 11, or verse 6 in chapter 11, sorry, you see here, he says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. People who earnestly seek him, faith is the thing that pleases God more than anything else. Faith is the thing that when you make the leap towards him, he pulls you to himself. In fact, he's already pulling you to himself. And faith is just the final leap. Faith is this thing that when you believe he exists and you, you believe that he rewards you, that it changes the way that you think. I don't know if you realize this, but peekaboo is something we all love from the very beginning of our existence. I mean, you take a baby and you can go, peekaboo, and they will laugh. They love it. I don't know what it is. There's something inherent in our psyche, in our experience, about searching for something and seeing it, about it being hidden and then it being revealed. Something really powerful about that. That's why we love stories where you can't see the end. We, we love this kind of thing. God is wanting to reveal himself a little bit at a time. If he revealed it all at the same time, it'd kill you. That's what the Bible seems to indicate. So I told Moses, you can't see my face. I'm going to put you over here in the rock, and the rock will protect you because it's so massive. So if there's no proof, can there be faith? I'm sorry, if, there's, if there is proof is what I meant. If there is proof, can there be faith? If there's locked lock down, airtight proof, can there be faith? No. Because there's a, there's a leap here. God, I love this phrase. My dad gave it to me. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. You can't use the faith of somebody else. You can't lose, use the faith of your parents. Everyone has to come face to face with their own faith in God. And so a good definition of faith might be a holy suspicion. We might be really suspicious that he's out there. What might be a good way to think about God is that God is out there and that he's, he's somewhere. We shouldn't be too hard on him. We shouldn't judge him too harshly. We should let him be innocent until proven guilty, maybe. That we should have a holy suspicion and that this suspicion is that he is 
active, he's at work, that the Bible could be true, that the, that the, the dynamics of our lives only make sense if we include him and invite him into our lives. What about you? Is the evidence convincing? Are you, are you among people who believe in God but maybe act like he doesn't exist? What you think about God is defining. A.W. Tozer said it. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So I want you to imagine with me, what would happen if we all decided we're really going to let our lives revolve around this being, this person, the God of the universe, if each person were to live not only as if God exists, but like he cares for us and has a plan for us, and what would change in our lives, in our families, in our schools, what would change in our neighborhoods if we actually sort of lived like this is the truth all the time? What if we, what if we lived like there are clues? We didn't have to jam it down anybody's throat. We didn't have to get into a big argument on Facebook that we could actually believe that there's evidence and have confidence in the evidence that we see and the dialogue that can continue and the experience we have, that we have confidence, we have boldness. Here's what Peter said, last verse, and then we'll pray. Peter said in 1 Peter 3.15, he says, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you, about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Close your eyes and bow your heads and let's take a moment and I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. I don't want to, I'm not going to call anybody forward. But I feel today like there is a, a sense at which people are here who are wrestling. Maybe you believe that God exists, but you haven't been living like it. Maybe you're wrestling with your doubts. Maybe there is, there is doubt that has crept up in your heart and mind and you're trying to figure out how to deal with it. Listen, the only way to deal with doubt is faith. Faith doesn't even exist unless there's this doubt that can come in. The response is not more doubt or cynicism or better arguments. It's faith. So if you're here and you're wrestling with your own doubt or you're wrestling with what's next, you, you're saying to me today, Pastor Ross, I, I am wrestling and I, I want you to pray for me. Pastor Ross, I, I, want, I want to believe, I want to make the leap, but it's just so hard for me. I need God to help me. Maybe you've never seen God as a person who wants to have a relationship with you. But today, Somehow you hear it deep inside you. Do you want to say, Pastor, please pray for me. I want, to, I want to commit my life to God. And so all over the room with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want anybody looking around. If that's you and that describes you, and you want to, want to say, Pastor, please pray for me. Please pray with me. I want, to, I want to make that leap of faith. Just lift up your hand all over the room. 
all over the room. Anybody there? Yeah, I see you over here, way back in the back. Anybody else? I want to make this leap. Yep, I see you down here, down front. Who else? I want to live like I really believe he exists. I see you, ma'am. Such a great decision. I see you, brother. I, I see you back here. I want to make a decision to leap out in faith, to believe that he exists and to live like he exists. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yep, I see you back here on the right. If you're wrestling, if you're like, oh, I don't, I'm embarrassed in front of all these people. Listen, don't be embarrassed. We, we all had to come to a moment where it was, it was this, this leap and we had, to, we had to do something that we were uncomfortable with. If, if you're wrestling, don't wrestle. God, God, God's worth losing to. Anybody else? I wonder if you'd all pray a prayer with me and you just follow me in this prayer. And that we could pray together and you could give your heart in a new way to God. That you could surrender in a new way to Him. Maybe you just whisper this prayer under your breath. All over the room, let's say this prayer together. In fact, in fact let's, let's say it out loud if you're comfortable with that. All across the room, everybody in the room, let's say this prayer together. You repeat after me, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing yourself through Jesus, through creation, through my own heart. Forgive me for my failures, doing my own thing, doing whatever I wanted to do. I give my life to you. I surrender today. Give me a new start. Make my heart new. Change my thinking. Change my heart so that I can understand you, so that I can learn from you, so that I can have a relationship with you. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness. I choose you. I choose you. Father, I pray that you'd help all of us choose you, to choose you, with the evidence at our disposal and the, the clues that you seem to be giving us, would you help us to choose you in everything? Choose to revolve our lives around you. Choose to live as if you really exist and you're active and involved in the affairs of our lives. Choose you by leaping in faith toward you. That we won't shrink back, that we won't be full of fear and doubt, but that you would help us to live by faith so that we can please you, so that we can receive the reward that you have for us. We love you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.